Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash late night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash late night. Now, enjoy the show. For a guy who works two jobs every single week, I wrestled myself to take a vacation this week. So <laughs> I feel like I never take a real vacation. There's always like work bubbling, you know, around in the background. I am so impressed by people who can legitimately like just say, you know what? Nothing for a week. I don't think my brain could do it. My colleagues were like, you should just, because I just got off of doing a huge fundraiser event in September. So I'm exhausted. They were like, you should take two weeks. And I'm like, I don't think I can. Like after day 10, my brain would be like, <laughs> okay, what are we going to do when we get back? The way I always rationalize it anyway is like, well, I'm saving future Brian, you know, a headache because I'm going to do a little bit of work now and not, you know, have a mile long inbox, you know. I feel like I'm the opposite. I find I curse it past Steve a lot. I like all the time. I'm like, ah, oh, screw future Steve. And then later I'm like, God, die, he passed me. God damn it. <laughs> yeah so many things i have to frame as like i need to do because usually i'd be like <laughs> future late you're screwed but i have to actively work against that impulse every day of just like don't set up a bad situation for future or past latent that's possible do i listen to that advice never yes so in lieu of working what's your plan for the vacation so here's my real objective. My objective was I'm going to get through one week without opening my email. And uh, I went to sleep last night after streaming. Got up this morning, had a text from one of my colleagues going, oh my God, someone is panicking. They saw you're out of office and you need to answer them right now. I was like, I did oh make God. it an hour. I did make it <laughs> one hour. <laughs> it's like my, a friend of mine, Tyler, said, he's like, it's great being indispensable until you want to be indispensable. Yes, I feel like so many of us, we spend so much time, like, you know, you're building your career and you're doing the stuff and you, you know, like, okay, I'm finally in the the position I've wanted to be in for so long. And then, yeah. And then you realize like exactly what you said. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, now I kind of <laughs> always have to be on because other people, other people are relying mm -hmm. on me to make decisions for them. Yeah. yeah. Every day I wake up and send emails and get emails <laughs> and the evil trap of, oh, I'm going to take care of my email to-do list. I'm going to respond to the emails. And you're like, I did a good job. But the reward for sending emails is you get more emails. Yes. Do you think they teach that now in high school? You know how they never taught us useful things? Do you think they teach now? Like, you are always going to be in your email. It doesn't matter what career you choose. You will be in your email box the whole time. Yeah. I wonder this, especially about teenagers or whatever these days. Well, first of all, no one's ever taught workflow, right? Maybe if you're in like an MBA or something, but I feel like most of us just kind of figure it out. But yeah, I don't know what they're teaching kids these days. Coming from being a little bit younger, 
I had, I don't even remember the name of the official class. It was just like the high school computer literacy class in which mm-hmm. they were like, we're going to get you Microsoft Word and PowerPoint certified. And I mm-hmm. failed all of the certifications except for PowerPoint. And most of that class was just everyone figuring out, oh, if you go on Google Docs, there's a chat function on Google Docs. So we do not have to pay attention <laughs> and can just chat. And this seems like a regular God honoring Google document. Yeah. But there was definitely stuff like use proper capitalization in emails. <laughs> and that's about the extent of it. But no, like, hey, know when you need to be replying all and when you definitely shouldn't be replying all. Yeah. Because Which, it's the- oh. <laughs> oh my God. Why don't they teach people that? That's the one I would love for everyone to have figured out is you don't have to reply all to everything. It's okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and then, like you said also, Layton, but there's sometimes when you do... And, you know, I'm sure we've all had this thing where productivity grinds to a halt because they replied to one person instead of a chain and everyone's just hanging around waiting for a reply. I've mentioned this before in the show. I noticed this to be particularly prevalent in the animator community (laughs) where animators, I would say of the ones we've worked with for my band, a solid nine out of 10 of them never reply all. It's just single reply every time. And then there's a flurry of like forwarding. Did everybody see this? And I don't like, I don't know what it is about animators. You know what? I know why this happens, at least partially, because having been in that position and also the position I'm in nowadays, I guess, is that when you are an artist and you hit reply all, it feels like you are getting up in front of the class. (laughs) Like, (laughs) <laughs> oh, I don't want to bother important people. I just, I'll, I'll make it so like one person sees, this is my contact person, they'll just see it. And like, just kind of that anxiety backing up, like, no, it's worse if you don't hit the reply all when you need to, because other well, people need to see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, to this day, will get the like reply all fear and then be like, nope, I have to deal with the other end of this all the time. So there was a something that was going around a couple months ago about how email kills productivity. Because you just get these like endless chains and sometimes, you know, people keep adding people to them. And then sometimes it's not clear like whose responsibility things are and these chains just kind of sit there forever. Have you guys experienced this? Oh, yeah. Especially with how many different team members that I've got in my day job. If it's just me and my team on the streaming side, it's not too bad because there's just two emails. But if it's like, Six different points of contact. It's literally the point where I've just been like, okay, you're the one that must respond to this now. Like, like, I'm just... 100%. Yeah, 100%. And then, yeah, I I guess I do know how to manage it. My main thing is is my band, Ninja Sex Party. And we have lots of different, you know, irons in the fire at any given time. And what we have decided to do is we just have a weekly call every Friday where it's just like, okay, every loose thread, bam, 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 bam. Sometimes you, you know, you'll wait on stuff because you don't have what you need. But I got so fed up with endless email threads that took months to reply to. I also have a certain collaborator who I will not name at the moment, who has a interesting relationship with his email <laughs> and sometimes sees them and sometimes doesn't. And, you know, I'm not again, I'm not gonna mention any names here. But, you know, eventually we were like, look, sometimes these emails are just not showing up in people's inboxes. So let's just like knock everything out. And and honestly, that one hour a week has saved countless hours of just waiting for shit to get done. Yeah. 
I feel like that's probably the most relatable jump from any of this is whether you're you know a popular band member, whether you're a popular writer, or you're a little known charity runner. Like you have so many irons in the fire at one time. It's not a skill that they teach you is multitasking and keeping those fires going constantly. It's like Lightning said earlier. Like the more you do, the more you work. So it's it's almost like you punish yourself in the long run because you're like, I don't want to ever be bored. So let's get 19 things going at the same time. Yes. And then it seems like they all have deadlines within three days of each other. Yeah. So the big fundraiser you just did, could you talk a little bit about about that? Absolutely, yeah. So I just got done with my September push. So for my day job, I am the charity runner at Evil Gamers. And right. a lot of our, our work comes down to the fact that we do work and we're really bad at talking about it. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> I take September as kind of like the charge where uh, I push forward and rope up best friends around the internet to get the word out about what Able Gamers does and try to raise a million dollars for the charity. And it's a lot of hurting wonderful special cats that I love very much, but they're all cats. <laughs> and, uh, yes. you know, getting everybody to get on the same page in the same month, uh, especially when, you know, Twitch fires break out and who knows what else happens. And, you know, yeah. it's just a matter of trying to keep everybody on the same page all to hit the same target goal. Yeah. Did you guys hit it? So this year, we're up to about half a million. We hit the million the first time around. This year was really rifle with a lot of Twitch stuff that just kept derailing everything with creators being angry at Twitch and then, you know, the wars going on. And I had a whole right, bunch right. of stuff lined up uh, for March for this. And we got together and just decided that it was right to pull the stuff that we had going because people were, you know, wanting to put their efforts, you know, behind helping global crises. And, you know, it's the hard yeah, yeah. part about charity work, right? Is it's like, there's lots and lots of great causes. So you're not fighting bad people. You're like, oh man, I hope <laughs> I do better than the child cancer raising fund. Like, what is that? Right. You know, I can't root against that. Yeah, totally. Tell me if this is true. I feel like with Able Gamers specifically, like the profile of that organization just kind of like blew up over the last few years. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it seems it's like you've been overnight really successful. success, you know? Yeah. I'm, going to guess both of you have been through the same thing where you have somebody telling you, wow, where, you just came out of nowhere. It's like, actually, I've been doing this for like a decade. Uh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. You know, nothing changed. Just a couple of lucky things. I happened to, you know, run into random celebrities that uh, since we're not in name dropping tonight, we won't mention names. Uh, but, you know, the dead on the target, the pool of celebrities uh, out there. Just, you know, um, it, just, it just has a certain Very ability. Subtle, yeah. yeah, thank you. Uh, has a has the way of raising your profile a little bit and just a lot of hard work making friends and sort of branching out to make people aware that people with disabilities also need love and attention and support is something that you know what i've said and not to get super geopolitical on a podcast but it's hard because you know what we do at able gamers and what i do as a human is i fight saying, hey, video games are okay, and they're not this thing that is ruining America and the world. And also, right. by the way, people with disabilities are also not paid attention to, and that's another thing, too. So I feel like I'm fighting on two fronts with that. For sure. Do you know Gene Park at the Washington Post? We did a big symposium together right before pandemic came down. Oh, nice. Wow. He's the best. He's been a guest on this podcast, one of our early ones. He's the nicest fucking guy. Absolute champion. But anyway, what I was going to say is the Washington Post has an official games beat now, like a video game 
section. It, it is such a nice thing to see video games legitimized in that way by, you know, one of the premier newspapers of, or out even anything, you know, in the country. You mentioned Gene, and which is an odd jumping point for me that I wasn't expecting because I've known him for a while. Like I said, we did the symposium. One of my pictures on my freaking official Facebook is me and him sitting on stage where, you know, we got to say some cool things. And um, yeah. it was a fun day. And then recently he, as we all know, you know, was diagnosed with cancer. Yep. And, you know, I was talking to him in private about what it was and, you know, what was going on. And he was getting what I like to call a backseat disability on Twitter about how to, you know, you should drink this fresh cocktail oh, yeah. of different fruits from the tropics that are going to cure <laughs> all of your ails. My friend's father on Facebook told me this will work. Of and, course. Uh, you know, he was yeah. getting a lot, of, a lot of backseating, a lot of hate on Twitter. And I said to him out in public, like, listen, you know, like, I tried to tell you this was a thing back in the day and you didn't quite get it back then, but this is not the way that I wanted you to have to get it. And he was of like, course. I wish I would have believed you back then. And I was like, I wish everybody didn't say that to me, but that is the worst part about this is you can empathize with it, but until you're in the world, it's totally different. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. quite hit. Yeah. Okay. We're based on Twitter. It's very hard to empathize depending on the day, you know. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, the fickle winds of the old Twitter. Yeah. Do you get a lot of people, Steve, like telling you how to deal with your disability specifically? I realize that, you look, I realize that's a naive question, but <laughs> no, it's just one of those questions that it's like, does anybody ever offer you their music tape? Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, no. Twitter is a fickle beast. You were absolutely dead on about that. It's got to be one of the most powerful tools that I've ever wielded. I continue to have it to be a life goal. I want to hit 100,000 on that damn bird app before I'm done in this place or the world blows up, whatever happens first. <laughs> and, you know, I take it as a point of pride, but man, also it can be difficult there's a lot of backseaters there even in for real life there's a lot of people who tell you you're not doing things the right way i mean i've had people flat out telling me that they understood my disability because you know my two terminal illnesses they can empathize with that because we're all dying of life and i was like <laughs> yes yeah. that's exactly the same thing God. yes uh -huh. yeah so there's such a weird mix of of people that you meet through that social media and it is why i'm kind of worried about its future now because for as much as it can be a troll cesspit like it's great too like that's how i met my celebrity friends that's how i've got in contact with a lot of people that's how i um got introduced to ninja sex party was them following me on twitter hell yeah twitter is you know powerful it's both ways the other thing is, you know, I, you, Leighton, all, all of us and many other people have spent years building up these followings, not just to get a big number, but so we can do something with it, right? And so, you know, when the Musk stuff was first, like, hitting a few months ago, whenever that was, I had this, like, pang of fear because I was like, wait a minute, is this just about to, like go away, which it may or may not. I, I think it's probably likely to stay around, but who the fuck knows, you know? It is scary to think this thing that we've been working on for so long could just go away. But I'm holding out hope that, you know, even if that deal does end up going through, it's not going to be the catastrophe. We're really on a race of like, Twitter is already the worst website and it's just like, <laughs> where's the bottom? How much worse could we get? And I am yeah. afraid that, you know, <laughs> Elon could take it pretty deep. 
But I totally agree. Like I've met so many cool and interesting people through Twitter. Honestly, Gene is one of them who we were just like, you know, I think he was following Ninja Sex Party and then I kind of followed him back. We were DMing and stuff. And now he's like an actual in-person friend, you know? That's how I met Alana. Was, uh, right. Through Twitter, same circle of friends. And, you know, Twitter in its early days was almost Facebook-like. It was like, hey, if all your friends are following this person, you do too, because they must be in your circle. And uh, yeah. so we just happened to uh, to be talking on Twitter and ended up DMing each other and, and ended up hitting it off. And now, you know, we're pretty much uh, as thick as thieves. And we have stolen many national treasures. So that's a true thing. <laughs> no, perfect. Yeah. We get something good out of Twitter. Yeah. Got to get the Australian treasures as well as the yeah. US treasures. They're always on the ceiling. That's just so weird about them. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to hear about from that one. Um, but anyway, um, so <laughs> it's a mixed bag. But yes, to answer your original question, yeah, I do get a lot of that. But a lot of the hate that I get is either it's really weird. It's like, we don't want you in our video games or stop trying to ruin video games just so that you can play. And, you know, which is of course your stated goal to yeah, ruin which video is my goal. games. Yes. yes. That's it's my Twitter bio is a ruiner of video games. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird, man. Uh, and unfortunately, disability life is not valued on the same as everyone else. And, and it just bleeds through in places like that. But on the plus side of Twitter, like, there is nowhere else that you can go to that is as accessible for people with disabilities, let alone without. Instagram is nice. TikTok is nice. They have their, their niches. But Twitter's the only place we've really got where you can type out little succinct messages oh, yeah. to the world and just see who echoes back, you know? Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that at all, but that's an amazing point. Steve, you are 42? Question yes. mark? Okay. What were your earliest experiences with the internet like? Back in the day, there was uh, dinosaurs walking around, pterodactyls, uh, actually how we stayed connected <laughs> yes. to one another. Yeah, there was AOLosaurus. That's right. Yeah, the old noisosaurus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, AOL and chat rooms were the early days for me. And it's, it's wild because that was, for me, a lot of what made me realize the internet was this great equalizer for people in my situations. You know, if you have a mind that's willing, but a body that's unable, the, the internet is an amazing place. Um, yeah. I could go into AOL chat rooms and I was just the same as everyone else. No one knew I was disabled unless I let them know. And mm -hmm. it was like, almost like a training ground of sorts, a tutorial mode for how to deal with life because it was like I would let somebody know and then disclose my secret that I was in fact disabled or how disabled I was. And, you know, there was all kinds of reactions from utter disgust and horror to people being like, oh, that's cool. And then just going on about their lives like they didn't care. And that's exactly the same way it is in real life. You have that gambit. And sometimes when I mention that story, you know, people kind of shirk away from it. But it's the same thing. If you're somebody like me who is obviously physically disabled very visibly, you have the same run of the mill. You know, the three of us go do this podcast in the middle of a mall of America. You're going to have people who stare and go, oh, my God. And others who are just like, that's cool and ignore it. And then some people right. are like, you know, look away, look away. And that's just humans. And so it was a really good training ground for how do you deal with each situation differently? Yeah. And I'm sure video games especially multiplayer, like being kind of in that same zone of that shield of anonymity to a degree. 
Absolutely. It's where I met my first serious long-term girlfriend because I could be who I was without having to worry about the disability, you know, and it, it really helped me become who I was. And, you know, something that I rarely talked about is, is, you know, those early days of having somebody in my life who I met through a video game back then, it was like, you know, don't meet anybody on the internet because they're all bad strangers who want to <laughs> right. kill you. Yeah. Right. But I ignored that because of my situation, and, and I met several people that ended up, you know, meeting and, and having real-life relationships with, whether it was friendship or romantic, and I wouldn't have traded that time for the world. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I had a mom that was understanding that that was my window into the world, and she let me yeah. run with it. What were your, those early games for you? Ultima Online was my very first love. Oh, yeah. Yeah, did a lot of time in UO. I got to be honest with you, no offense to the Ninja Sex Party or the Deadpools <laughs> out there, but my favorite follow is Lord British himself. Uh, when that guy oh, followed nice. me, I screamed. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm five years older than you are. I remember like the original Ultima games before it was mm. Ultima Online, which, you know, I played one of them on my Apple IIc or whatever, you know. <laughs> uh, then they went to online and I was like, whoa, I guess this is the next Ultima. Yep thing and then of course it just blew up in the hugest way imaginable like it went from these kind of niche rpgs to a worldwide phenomenon mm -hmm. ultima was weird for me in a lot of ways i think the reason that i was so happy about that follow was just like it was such a weird running theme if they ever do a documentary about my life and the crap that i've gone through it will definitely be there as something that runs an undercurrent in my early years I got my early consoles because a nurse basically said, hey, why aren't you doing this? And I went, I don't think I can. And they went, I think you can. And then they lent me their kids. And uh, I found out that I could use a controller with my hands back then. And, and it opened up this door to this window where my mom and I had not been estranged because she's always been in my life. But when you have a disability as profound as mine, it complicates your life with your, your family that live with you. So she, sure. you know ends up being this caretaker that's full-time and there's guilt there and there's struggles and there's, you know, dealing with an angry teenager who's just figuring out that they have a terminal illness and what that really means cannot be easy sure. as a parent. And she weathered all that. And one of the ways we stayed connected was playing Ultima 7, I think it was, where, you know, you would, you would go through and you would... Together. Yeah. You know, answer these questions to determine what character you're going to be. And we've made a, a, a character named Mast. Her name is Marsha. My name's Steve. We combined them to be Mast. And we would take turns. She would play at nighttime when she had to be awake because I couldn't be alone. And I'd play during the daytime. And it was sort of like our game that we played to stay connected. And then later I would use the same version, a different version, but the same game, Ultima Online, to make friends and a romantic interest. And it's really wild how... One video game franchise can just be so important in your life. That's amazing. Have you talked to other disabled gamers who have had that same experience with Ultima? Not particularly with Ultima Online, but definitely with gaming in general. Yeah. Depending on where you grew up and when, I think is what it was. Several people I met have had the same experience in EverQuest or Star yeah, Wars yeah. Galaxies, you know, that kind of thing. And I kind of fear for disabled youth nowadays because there's not quite that same like you only had a couple choices right when you were our age you know if you're in your 40s you had <laughs> like five games to pick from you did not That's have right. 112 yeah 100 percent. yeah 
Yeah. So I don't know, you know, do you go to World of Warcraft for that same experience now? I don't entirely know. The days of the MMO are kind of going out the window now. You know, as much yeah, as I yeah. love Overwatch and whatnot, I'm not going to make a longtime best friend likely out of, you know, a game where you're just destroying competition. Yeah. Overwatch was huge for a couple of years and then has, you know, faded out quite a bit. I was on the road. I wasn't really paying attention. Something happened in the last week. I know people were upset about it, but that also could describe literally any week in, you know, human history. In, in gamer so, history. Yeah, in gamer history, so. right. Yeah. So what happened with Overwatch? What was the deal? Did you guys pay attention to this at all? Brian, what do you think? If you had to guess what happened with Overwatch, what do you think happened? Here's what I pieced together, okay? Something about Overwatch 2, but it wasn't really a sequel, and also people were having trouble logging in. So these are the tidbits that I was able to glean from just stuff showing up on my Twitter timeline. So I'm going to guess that I think they released an update that pissed people off. It's fairly close. Yeah. I asked you that question. I also don't know what happened. (laughs) (laughs) So the long story short is Overwatch 2 came out, but essentially Overwatch 2 is just Overwatch 1, except for now instead of 6v6, it's 5v5. And the game is free to play, but you have to hook your phone to it as a way of proving you're a real human. Oh, I see. And lots of people were mad about that. And lots of people were mad that this new game has replaced their game because Overwatch 1 is gone. You can't play it anymore. It was replaced by Overwatch wow. 2. I see. So, lots of people right. about that. That's something interesting tying into what we were just talking about. The idea of, like, to even play this game, you have to connect. Like, I am a real person. Here's my full identity. Here's this. It's the same with, like, early days, like, forum, no social media. Just sort of, like, you have your handle. You have your little signature in your forum posts if you want one. But now everything is so like tied to your real name. You're a person. Everything is like one-to-one. Here's who you are. Here's your face. Here's everything about you. Like, I think it discourages a lot of that sort of like curiosity and openness to other people. Because instead it's just like going to get boiled down to like, oh, I've got plenty of grist to attack you over, stranger. (laughs) Oh, I just had this weird picture in my head of you grabbing a metal collar and slapping somebody with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically. So other than Ultimo, what was like your video game journey as you grew up playing things? Yeah, after that, I, I went to Star Wars Galaxies and, and played that for a long time and ended up meeting someone that was romantically ended up being a three-year relationship. And we went to PAXs and ended up meeting oh, nice. in real life and, and doing all that. And another journey where, oddly enough, that's what I was kind of marveling at the other night, a weird jump. Uh, but uh, I had someone drop into my stream who was like... Know, hey, I probably don't remember me, but we used to play Star Wars Galaxies together. And it's like, oh, nice. Yeah, it's weird how these things kind of come around. And, and when you have a profile online, you kind of end up being a beacon. So people eventually find you. And it's kind of cool. You know, I have some people from those days who still, you know, lurk in my streams all the time. We were never particularly close. It was just that now. I'm in a position where, you know, I'm an entertainer and people are just there and and they, you know, remember me from back in the day and they want to hang out. And it's so freaking cool to, you know, see how you kind of carry some relationships with you as you age. And, you you know, one of the cool parts about growing older, I guess, you get to see who sticks with you throughout the years. 
Yeah. And the flip side of it, I guess, is when you have those old internet friends who you kind of lost touch with or people change usernames or platforms or whatever, where it's like, I, you know, talk to you every day. No idea what your real name was. Don't know what you're doing. Hope you're doing well. Those weird little idiosyncrasies where it's like, this person is my best friend online. I only know their first name. And then they say something like, oh yeah, so I was walking my dog. And it's like, you have a dog? (laughs) (laughs) This just has never come up. (laughs) It's always reminded me of, you know, I used to be a professor and instructor of various things. And you have these students, you know, you see every day for like sometimes years, right? And then they just move on with their lives. And you have these very, you know, it's not like a friend relationship most of the time, but you get to know people. And then suddenly they're gone because they've moved on to where they've graduated and gone to wherever. And then maybe they just pop up years later. Hey, by the way, you know, I'm working over here now. And it's like, oh my God, wait, wait last time I saw you, you were 19. And now you're you're 35. Wait, that doesn't even seem, oh wait, I'm old too. right. From a teacher perspective, that's got to be kind of awe-inspiring because you know you had somewhat of a hand in getting that person to where they went. So if they come back and they're like, yeah, I just invented this cure for this thing. You're like, I had a small part in that. That's so cool. Totally. I was just going to say, I I found that also with, you know, I used to be a a scientist and other younger scientists I collaborated with who are now like full professors. You know, I'm almost 50. Like when I started with these guys, they were in their 20s and now they are, you know, in their 40s. And it's like, oh, no, you're like a world leading scientist. And I knew you when you were just a a little baby grad student (laughs) starting out in physics. And now you're like completely kicking ass. I mean, the other thing that's rewarding is to see someone who's really young and you're like, there's like potential there. That person I think is really going to blossom at some point. And then just to watch them do it is, it is really rewarding. And, you know, far be it for me to claim any credit at all for the success of anyone I've worked with. Probably they succeeded in spite of my involvement with their lives. (laughs) But it is fun to see these people grow up and become like amazing, awesome adult humans. What I was going to say was that I think about this with therapists Because like when you quote unquote graduate therapy or you stop seeing somebody, it's just like, all right, that's it. The therapist, like unless you reach out in the future, they're not going to know anything about your your life. Like that sort of deep bond in a good therapeutic relationship where it's like this person knows so much about me, but like the same sort of thing of like, you have a dog, like there's so much information that gets omitted based on the type of relationship. But with therapists, it's not like, you know, they're going to go into somebody's stream or whatever. It's just sort of like, well, hope that person's doing good. <laughs> and I'd yeah. be curious if there are any therapists listening to this show. There if you are, be. I'm sorry. But I would be curious to hear like, if you <laughs> yes. think, think about patients years later or whatever. Hey, what's our diagnosis? So that's the first <laughs> question I would ask therapists. Our podcast diagnosis. Yes, yes, that's right. Were we talking about having a couples counselor on once? Weren't we talking about doing that or something? Brian, you're omitting the fact that we do have a couples counselor for no, this no, but show for specific, and who you've actively been ignoring lately. I don't know who you're Dr. F is really Doc, upset. I, she I said, just know, because I you're really on tour doesn't mean you're, you're on tour about. from your feelings. I'm always on tour. Wow. <laughs> That's my secret. <laughs> Should we introduce the oh. show? That's the that other thing. That's the thing I fucking forgot to say in the beginning. That tale is all this time. We often wait 45 minutes to introduce the show. And in fact, this is Leighton Knight with Brian Wecht. Over here, we have Leighton Gray. That's me. Beautiful mystery guest. Would you care to introduce yourself? 
Sure. My name is Steve Spawn. I am the Senior Director of Development for a charity called Able Gamers. Hell yeah. Awesome. There. See, I knew I was forgetting something else, and it was precisely that, that we roll into it and do introductions late, if ever. But, Layton, <laughs> thank you for keeping this on track. I, I gotta make sure that trains run on time, baby. <laughs> uh, professional. Yeah, very highly professional. Something that I wanted to circle back around to is that something that I really love about Able Gamers and just the entire like mission statement is focusing on the social aspect of games as we were just talking about and how, you know, kind of correcting that idea that video games are for people who hole up in their basement at all hours of the day when it's like, as we've talked about, meeting people through games is a huge thing. But also just like, as much as I jokingly say that I hate video games, I love video games so much and they're so important (laughs) to my friendships. Like regardless of if I met somebody through a game, it's just like truly nothing better than like freaking out about a video game thing in the middle of the night with friends on Discord. Like I just think that that is a wonderful thing. And the fact that people can look at what you guys do and be like, you're ruining video games. It's like... (laughs) It's insane. Like, what are they doing? There's more people to talk to video games who get to enjoy it. That's a good thing. Yes. It's a psychological thing, which I know both of you have backgrounds in big brain things. And so I think you can appreciate, like, (laughs) I mean, you know, in order to do what both of you do and what I do, we have to think about the world at large, right? And and mm-hmm. I think that part of that is understanding where people are coming from, if you can. Now, there's obviously the toxic, bad faith argument people. We're going to sure. toss them out because they don't matter. They're just looking for an argument, right? They're just right. the jerks. The other ones, the gatekeepers, the elitists, those are the ones that I continually try to battle against. And I'm exhausting myself by trying to win them over one at a time. Is They're the people that view video games as such a core central part of their identity that the idea that other people could be allowed in and do the same thing that they've already done is an affront to who they are and and those are the people that you really have to reason with like listen i understand that this is part of who you are you beat this particular game on the hardest setting possible while you were blindfolded and had cheese in your mouth and that is your (laughs) thing and you're proud of it and i get that no one's taking that away from you we're just trying to make it where other people can enjoy their version of it and you really have to just really get to them i've I don't know about how you guys deal with social media, but for me, sometimes I like to message a troll back and be like, hey, why did you say that? Or, you know, hey, like, why would you reach out to a stranger like that? And I like seeing the responses because some of them are just double down on their toxicity and tell you to go away and that you're a horrible looking human being who should be in a Tolkien movie. And other ones are just like, oh, I didn't think you were really going to read that. Sorry. And it's it's interesting right. how there's such a big swath of trolls out there and you can that, reach some of them. So it's weird. That latter reaction is really, really interesting to me. I don't think I've ever had that happen to me specifically because I'm totally like a do not touch the poop type situation. Where it's like, I'm not, I'm good. I'm in that category as well. I, I decided years ago that I was like, you know what? It's a one-way street for me, pretty much. I use it just to put stuff out there and will very seldom respond. But people who are braver than we are. Yes, like you. Or yeah. just have more patience <laughs> yeah. of which I have very little. Yeah. Like I, I find that I didn't think you were going to read this a fascinating it's response. Amazing. I mean, it really points out how many of those quote unquote troll things are just straight up like 
this person needs a diary. Honey, buy a diary. Yeah, why would you write it if you didn't think anyone was going to read it? It is so baffling. Don't direct it at another person. Like this, so many like agro internet interactions are just like, this person is dealing with a thing and they are putting it in the wrong direction. Like if you would just think about maybe why you are saying this to the person that you're saying it to. And perhaps, I don't know, this is a crazy idea, but like your words have an effect on other people in their lives or Mm -hmm. who knew? It's a weird interaction that you can rarely have. And I don't recommend it. I'll tell you that. It's another strategy I tell everyone. But if you're you're online as plugged in as I am, like sometimes it's hard not to pick a couple of the ones saying the same thing and go after them and... It's almost like your brain is like, all right, if I can defeat this one person in word combat, then they will all see (laughs) my point. But it never works that way because then you end up being like, I just had this argument. Go look at that thread over there. I don't want to do this again. Um, Totally. (laughs) But so many people I like do the same strategy. You, Alana does this. Gene Park does this. I think it's a totally reasonable thing for exactly the reason you say. You're not just responding to that person. You're responding so that a lot of people can see it. And what I would hope is that people who see that interaction then take a step back and they think, oh, you know, well, is that the kind of thing I would have said? What do I think about that? Like maybe use it to question their own assumptions and then learn from that, which I I honestly think it does have that effect. You know, it may lead to more hate and more bullshit for you to deal with. But I think there are a lot of people who are seeing that every time I see someone, you know, correct someone, correct a hater or whatever, it's like, oh, okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's a reasonable response to that. <laughs> I, I, I understand something else now. A very good example today was the guy who created VeggieTales was really popping off on some... Oh, I didn't see this. Oh, it's great, Google. I, I can't TLDR the thread, but it was in regards to like... You know, a bunch of Christian nationalist people were making certain arguments about women's rights to their bodies, et cetera. And VeggieTales guy, I hate that I can't remember his name right now, but was just going in and somebody was like, what happened to you, man? You're making VeggieTales woke. Next, you're going to say that like they're transitioning into into fruits. And he was like, well, actually, cucumbers and tomatoes are fruits. Are fruits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which was really the end cap on a great him right. making like a very well-put argument. That's great. Because VeggieTales is a Christian thing, right? Very much so. There's actually a great YouTube video from Fundy Fridays talking about the creation and evolution of VeggieTales. And I find that guy very interesting in terms of like heads of Christian media empires. He's definitely one of the ones where it's like, well, you're not a monster. Like, I I like the angle that they took with it where it's like emphasizing like, God made you special and loves you, which, you know, I'm very atheist, but I think pushing the message of love rather than like the specific tenets of Christianity, whatever. And I don't need to go into a whole Veggie Tales thing, but <laughs> as somebody who got- Oh, I, I disagree. Infused with a lot of Christian media for children, yeah. Veggie Tales also stands out as like having jokes that are funny and like well-written. Like, I don't know. I find the whole story of it really inspiring, even if I don't. That's interesting. I I just kind of wrote it off because I knew it was like a Christian thing. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, that's not really the kind of stuff I'm into. But it is 
It's awesome to hear you say that there are some redeeming qualities to it for something I had just considered, oh, this is some bullshit I'm not interested in. Yeah, I mean, there's a sliding scale of religious media for children that goes from just like, we're telling a story from the Bible and God loves you to a variety of other things. I've been like very in my thinking about being exposed to Christianity as a child arc, but that's a story for another show (laughs) or probably my therapist. (laughs) Yeah. Everything is content. You're supposed to turn all of your personal stories <laughs> into content. Everything you know is content. That's yeah, right. We're yeah. all brands. It's all about monetizing. <laughs> it's all about, uh, uh, I, I don't even have the energy to, should we do segments for this show? I was just thinking now's Speaking a good time Speaking of to content. Do, yeah. Let's bump the brand, as they say. So our first segment for this show is our pop culture recommendation segment. This is where you get to talk about a book, movie, video game, whatever it is, something you've been enjoying recently. I had a month off from recording the show. I'm so re-energized with the introduction to this segment. Because you hate doing this so much. This is your least favorite thing. Well, look, it's it's a chore, but I get through it. (laughs) This is the segment that we call What's Poppin' and the theme song, which we add in post-production, goes here. What's Poppin'? What's poppin'? Great. So we ask all our guests, Steve, if you were to have heard that theme song, what would you have thought about it? Uh, honestly, I think you could have done better. Uh, I'm disappointed okay. in you as a person, and uh, I hope I you take this that. time to reflect on your choices <laughs> in life. I do that every time we record. <laughs> <laughs> I like how everyone listening is like, man, Steve's so nice. And they heard that and they're like, oh, what just happened? <laughs> But he keeps it real. I think you've said what's been on a lot of people's yes. minds. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly the thing I say to myself every time I make a piece of music. Yeah, that could have been better. Yep. Yeah. Honestly. Reevaluate. Yes. I keep thinking about George Robb when he was on recently. It was just him saying, derivative dad, derivative. <laughs> and that's been living in my head rent-free anytime yeah. I do something now. Derivative, I write yeah. something that it's just George saying derivative dad, derivative. Yeah, derivative, shaking his head, yeah. Layton, what's popping? What's popping for me is totally nothing related to the last what's popping I did in that what's popping for me are a couple of mods for a video game called Fallout New Vegas, which I've certainly spent a normal amount of time playing since Brian's been gone. I heard the episode you recorded where I was gone and you talked about, would you play it for 20 out of 24 hours consecutively or something? It was something like that. Yeah, it was. But I finally got into modding, which is a little too confusing for my brain to do compared to other games. But there are two mods I'm going to recommend. One of them is called Light Up and Smoke Those Cigarettes, which you find a lot of cigarettes Uh in the wasteland, all right? You find cartons, you find boxes, and it's like, why would I pick these up? It's garbage. But this mod makes it so you can actually smoke the cigarettes for buffs, but you have a chance of finding lucky cigarettes, which are really great because they boost your luck stat. And so anytime I am in a situation where it's like, I need to snipe a bunch of geckos from over here, like it, it adds this extra little meta game of like, oh, I found a carton of cigarettes. Are there luckies in here? It's just like, why isn't this base game? This is awesome. I mean, children, please smoke. It's good for you. And it makes you lucky. 80s cartoons all over again. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Go out and buy those candy cigarettes, kids. Yeah. It'll make it easier for you to shoot people in the head. And then my the second mod that I really, really love is called Platinum Radio. I'm like this with Cyberpunk too. Any radio mod that makes it so you can add more songs to the in-game radio, doing God's work. But this one just adds like 60 great like 
Dean Martin, uh, 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 Wayne Newton, like all like period appropriate songs for the game. And there's a Spotify playlist for it. So I am mildly losing my mind because I listen to it all day and then I get on and I play Fallout and then I go to sleep and I'm just hearing like Dean Martin over and over. Anyway, yeah, Fallout New Vegas, play it. Mods, also good. That's what's popping for me. And now put me in New Vegas jail so I don't talk about it anymore on this podcast. This is not my what's popping, but it just uh, reminds me of something I listened to recently. Have you, either of you ever heard the You Must Remember This podcast by Karina Longworth? Mm-mm. Oh. First of all, I think she's married to Ryan Johnson, the director, but she does like a entertainment history podcast, like Hollywood history podcast. And she has one pretty recently, basically about Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. and kind of the history of the Rat Pack and basically what they both struggled with and how essentially her point is Sammy Davis Jr. was one of the most talented people to ever exist, but faced all sorts of insane, you know, and horrible racism throughout his life. And Dean Martin was talented in his way and did much, much better than Sammy for all the obvious reasons. But it's an interesting history of the Rat Pack and those two guys in particular. What's the name of the show? You must remember this. You must remember this. Okay. I will not remember that, but that's why we're recording. (laughs) It's a great show. She has a very interesting speech cadence where everything is very red. So if you don't like something that is written out and read, then don't listen to it. Gee whiz, I hate stuff that's written out and read, like, let's say, a three-part series on the history of found footage. That, that boo, boo, somebody obviously reading something. Some people have said, this is a thing I've heard people say, they don't like the reading thing, but I think it's great. So Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Great. great. Brian, what's actually popping? What's actually popping for me is I've been watching a new TV series on Hulu called The Patient starring uh, Steve Carell and Domhnall. How do you say his first name? Domhall. Brendan Gleeson's son. Domhnall Gleeson. He's Brendan Gleeson's son. I'm 90%. Hold on. I always get blindsided with the like, these two people with the obvious same last name who are both actors. They're related. Yes, he is Brendan Gleeson's son. Yes, I was correct. And so the conceit, which I don't want to say anything about, is Steve Carell plays a therapist who has a very interesting patient played by Domhnall Gleeson. It's not a comedy. I mean, they're both great. Steve Carell is kicking ass at this thing. He's just so good. I've been watching it along the same time as past guests on the show, friend, producer, Jim Roach. And he pointed out that there's one scene where uh, a bad thing happens. I won't say what it is. And Steve Carell's character has to scream like, no, no, no. And manages to do it in a way where he doesn't sound like Michael Scott screaming, <laughs> Toby, no, 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 no. And I think Steve Carell is just a great actor and he's so funny in the comedy stuff he does. It's awesome to see him in this totally different context, looking great, like just kicking all kinds of butt, being a serious actor. And uh, it's a tense and interesting show. And the episodes are like 20 minutes long, too, which is very interesting for a drama, right? You don't see many like half hour dramas out there. Yeah. And it makes it, seems it great. so much easier. Yeah. So, Why would you even make the three act arc in 20 minutes? That's amazing. Yeah, they're releasing it week to week. So I think they're seven 
out of 10, seven out of eight. I don't know how many episodes they're doing in, but it's like, there are very few shows where I'm like waiting for it to drop these days. And this is one of them. I've been really enjoying it. I was watching it like, you know, on the road while we were on tour and it's a really fun and well done and well acted show with basically only two main actors, you know, there's kind of flashbacks to other people, but it's basically just the, the two of them doing stuff. And I love it. Awesome. Steve, what's popping? The last thing that continues to ring in my brain is waiting for the third installment of a book series that I've been following for years. That's my, my favorite pop culture thing. Uh, it's a book series by Pierce Brown called Red Rising. And, um, hmm. If you've never heard of it, it is essentially a trilogy all about intrigue and betrayal amongst the stars. It's basically set a couple hundred years in the future. Humans have colonized the galaxy. It's not about aliens invading from other universes. It's more of um, almost the expanse kind of here's what mm-hmm. might actually could happen in a couple of hundred years where society has been morphed into a society that is a hierarchy of colors, not as in skin tone, but as in they have made people who are healers are greens and people who are politicians are whites and people who are everyday workers are reds. And they have this whole hierarchy of how humanity has moved and shifted into you identify with your segment of people and how society would work. They don't look that color. That's just no, the name that's for just their, like their, their cast. Yeah, their stage and the hierarchy is just yeah. where you fall. So we've done away with things like, you know, skin color difference and other, you know, right. minorities. And now it's just a station in life kind of thing where, you know, scientists are blue and these color schemes get into an involvement in interplanetary warfare where Mars and Earth are fighting the outer banks of you know neptune and beyond Mm -hmm. and what happens when you know mars is full of bunch of materials that the rest of the universe needs to keep running and how it's the focal point of the story and controlling this one planet and if you like game of thrones and that kind of like you know houses and families fighting against each other it's really cool they don't have lasers they have what they call uh razors which is imagine a snake that goes around your forearm and Mm -hmm. they almost have like elite battles where people fight using these razors by whipping them off your arm and it becomes a fencing tool and you have to fight hand-to-hand combat instead of like straightens out like a sword kind of it has like an electric current that runs through it and you can change the shape of the blade and the hero uses a scythe so his name is reaper and he's just mm-hmm. like this badass that was reconstructed, kind of like in a Captain America way. He was like was this scrawny little dude, and then he got reconstructed into this monstrous badass that goes out and fights for the underdog. And it's a really great story that that's gone on for five books now, and people are waiting for the sixth. And it's got to be one of the coolest ones I've done because they answer huh. questions like, "What happens to disability? How did we conquer the wage gap? How did we manage to make society get along and not hate each other?" Like really cool things that like I've not seen a lot of writers tackle. That's awesome. That sounds yeah. great. I've never heard of that. Say the author's name one more time. Author Pierce Brown and the series is called Red Rising. Cool. Great. Well, that is what's popping for everybody. And that means it's time for our final segment, which is three parts gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing and the theme song for the segment, which is called Peaches and Lemons, goes right here. Peaches and lemons. 
that was the theme song. Now we will each start with a lemon, which is a thing that is a minor bummer, annoyance, just crappy little thumbs down. What have you? I can go first. On this recent tour, so we had two kinds of shows, the big ninja sex party shows and then smaller variety shows that I would do where it was kind of like everybody but Dan. Dan wants a night off to rest his voice and it's like, well, we're paying the crew, so let's do another show at a smaller venue. And in one of these, pretty early on in the run, so I play sax as part of this show, I'm walking on stage and a whole key just straight up falls off the saxophone. (laughs) (laughs) Just about to just... Thunk. And I was like, because this is like the closer of the show will, you know, most of those keys do something on the sax. Depends on which key it is. And it turns out it was the key that controls just the lowest note on the horn. And so I was able to not use it and then just tour for the rest of the time at the saxophone. But it was that feeling of like, okay, here we go. Closing the show. Oh, fuck. What am I going to do? And by the way, the character, it's kind of a character piece. I'm wearing this white suit and sunglasses, and it's supposed to be this very, like, cooler-than-thou kind of guy. And there would have been nothing less in character for this dude than be like, I can't perform because, my, you know, I don't have a working horn. That feels like something that happens in a nightmare of like, oh, no, I have to get on stage, and the keys are falling yes. off of my saxophone. So, by the way, when I say a key for a saxophone, so this is the lowest key on the horn. So it's not just like a thing you press with your finger. It's a whole rod that's attached to a pad that closes. So a like seven inch metal rod, that's what I'm talking about. And I'm sure for someone who knows how to repair these things, i.e. not me, this would have been a minor thing. But instead, I just toured for two weeks missing the key. And honestly, it ended up not being a big deal. I was thinking that like having you on stage, and I was thinking as like Ninja Brian character, like that would be <laughs> pretty funny to play off, where you're just like looking at it and throw it over your shoulder and keep going, you know. Yes, if I was Ninja Brian, what Ninja Brian would do when something goes wrong is I just walk off stage and refuse to perform, and then get the audience to chant Brian, Brian, and then they come back <laughs> on. There was one one thing on tour. It was like a solo thing, just piano. And I immediately fuck up. And Danny goes, Brian fucked up! Which is my favorite thing. I love it when that happens. And yeah, so I just stopped playing immediately and left. Nice. Nice. That's incredibly funny. I love the idea that now you need to find a sax repair guy, which means that you will have a sax guy. And my mental image of what the sax guy is in Los Angeles is very... That's great. It's like Vernon has a typewriter guy. Yes. And who is exactly how you would expect. I found that guy already. I took it into the shop yesterday. Oh, I see. And he is a very sweet Australian man about my age with shoulder length hair who mumbles a lot. (laughs) Okay. Sax player, all right. Yep. A very chaotic workshop. And he had a a Yamaha DX7, which is like a classic, you know, synth, which was primarily being used as a shelf for oboes. (laughs) So... I love the vibe. The time-honored tradition of using a keyboard as a as a shelf. As I yeah. do. When I asked him, I was like, "Does that DX7 work?" And he's like, "Yeah, mainly it just stores oboes now." <laughs> All right, that's my lemon, uh, Steve. So my lemon is uh, big, 
purple nameless organizations that like to take 50% of their content creators fees. Uh, oh my God. Being a bad thing that uh, no mega corporation should do. And uh, it's been all around the internet for the last couple of weeks. And there's no funny punchline there. It just sucks. It just sucks. Yes. Yeah. It's great that everybody's at the whim of, you know, a handful of major organizations that really just do not give a fuck. Yeah. Well, big purple organization. God damn you. It's every time you see these things, they start out and they're so small and creator friendly and then they get bought. And then just over time, it goes to shit and becomes a It is. And, and you know what really makes me annoyed and a lemon about the whole thing is, you know, again, this is me speaking from a place of privilege. So for anybody listening, please don't think it's me being big headed here, but like I'm privileged to have some cool friends that have done some cool things in life. And I was venting about the 50% thing on Twitter and literally from messages me and goes, you know, it sounds like you probably have a, a litigation case. Like you could probably sue that. And I'm like, no, huh? I wish I could, but yeah. no. And he's like, are you sure? Cause nowhere in the entertainment industry that I've ever heard of gets 50% of a talent's That's right earnings that's that's worse than any agent whatever george you and i'm like oh i know i know yeah that's a classic like old media looking at new media kind of thing right Mm -hmm. and no yes of course agents take whatever 10 percent, but that's a different thing entirely they don't get what it's like to work for slash with youtube twitch What (laughs) What do you mean? YouTube and streaming are fake jobs that require no effort, which is why we feel you don't deserve any money. But we will use your content to make us money. And that's fair. Now that you bring that up, what is the weird turn I've been seeing on social media in the last month or so? I don't know if it's plants or what, but there's this weird turn I've been seeing where people are saying to content creators like, yeah, I guess you're just going to have to get an actual job now, or maybe we should stop talking about streaming like it's a real job. And it's like, but a job, by its very definition, is anything that you do that you get paid to do. That is literally the definition of base level job. Indeed. That is textbook dumb take. Like, come on. Bad take. Bad take. Yeah. But I feel like that bad take was, you know, it was around, whatever, 15 years ago. And then I agree, it was quiet for a long time, but it has been bubbling up again recently i don't understand it i mean i I, again i'm you know a progressive guy so i believe in things like fair wages and sex work is real work and stuff like that so i know not everyone agrees with my stances on stuff like that and that disabled people should have rights too that's a wild one no one seems to agree with so uh you know to me it's always one of the things that boggle my mind it's like you know these are not astronomically out there things that we're asking for it's like treat people like humans where am i off base yeah yeah And it's like, those are stances that are good and like tangibly help people. And then people who are against it, it's like, well, this doesn't affect you, honey. This affects the people that it affects. And you're just being against it to be a dick. Yeah, I have Um, found what you just said right there is something that I need to talk to a therapist about because I don't know much YouTube, but I really, as I alluded to earlier with dealing with trolls, I like to understand people's mindsets. And when I can't, it almost throws an error in my brain. Like my brain can't compute it. And when somebody doesn't have anything to gain out of their stance, it's only that they want someone else to lose something. It's like, it doesn't even make sense. Like if you're fighting with me over oil in a well and we're battling, I get it. You want the riches. That makes sense to me. But if it's like, I don't want you to eat today. Well, but you're going to have food anyway. Don't care. You don't need to eat. What? What? 
That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. The only way I've ever been able to rationalize that is that in their brain, you losing is their gain. You know what I mean? Yeah. The only way they can feel good is to take something away from someone else. And that I think emotionally, it's the same dopamine hit or whatever the fuck it is that you get by bumping yourself up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. This makes no logical sense. It's just infuriating because then this doesn't feel like a human. (laughs) My entire ideology is based on making other people's lives worse. And actually, I'm better (laughs) than you for thinking (laughs) that too. Yeah, right. Exactly. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just exactly that. And and my life is set up on making others better. And so it's the antithesis of my existence. And yeah. maybe that's why it doesn't. Yeah. Thanks. I'll send you the, the your bill for this therapy. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it comes down to, are we in a zero-sum game or does a rising tide lift all boats? You know, And some people are just innate zero-summers. Like, we can't all win, which yeah. is dumb because, you know, it's just not true. Hey, that was a good lemon that we had a good chat about. Yes, absolutely. I have a stupid lemon that affects nobody except for me. (laughs) Okay. My lemon is, you know, I like to maintain an image of myself as a very cheery, together, um, mentally well, uh, Disney princess (laughs) type. Yes. So, you know, know, the animals just flock to me and sit on my hands and arms and we sing together which is why I'm so thrilled by the fact that I have a fuck ton of mice living in my ceiling. You do? Oh no. I do. And I have like a little walk-in closet that I have mainly used to shove shit in and then I close the door and I'm like, I'll deal with that later. Mm -hmm. Mouse dropping started appearing in my apartment and I was like, where the hell are they getting in? And then I had a moment where I opened my closet door after walking past and being like, Smells weird here. Oh, no. Opened it up, turned on the light, and just like full horror movie moment as I understand where they were coming from because there's a hole in my ceiling that's just been there. I don't know why it never set off any alarms for me of like, maybe there shouldn't be a hole in my ceiling. Anyway, I've been launching a full-on assault on the mice. How many mousetraps are in my home right now? So many. How many mice have I caught? None. <laughs> None. <laughs> so... I had to clear out all the garbage with the help of my dear, beautiful friend and previous guest, Allison, who helped me take literally like years of just like clothes and whatever random shit that I needed to shove in my closet. Was there mouse shit in your closet? Yes. So much of it. So much of it. So I'm getting an exterminator this week and then a cleaning lady. But the past several weeks of me dealing with the mouse problem, I have issues with my anxiety that I take medication for. And one of my biggest triggers is like vermin, you know, like, let me, let me. But we've had him on the show so many times. I know. Right. But it really exacerbates, you know, inherent feelings of badness or dirtiness or whatever. And then like the fact that I have mice is like indicative of a deep moral failing on my part that I will face up to God or whoever about like personally my fault. So all of that to say, mice and my anxiety is so bad lately because of mice, even though it's just mice, Layton, calm down. It's mice, but no. You'll be okay. My brain literally doesn't understand that. Like the normal, rational chain of thinking that my brain is convinced of is like, oh, okay, so the mice are here because you're a bad person. They are going to bring disease and bed bugs into your home. You and your dog both now have bed bugs. You're going to get kicked out of your apartment somehow, and then you're going to drop dead. 
That's like some goals level, Olympic level gymnastics you're doing yeah. right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I didn't even realize that until as we were cleaning out the closet, I elucidated that thought pattern to Allison and she just looked at me and went, oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you my my one funny mouse story? For a year, I lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan and rented a room in an old house in Ann Arbor. And one day, got home from work, cooked up a batch of scones, blueberry scones. I like blueberry scones. As you do. As one does, as a young single man. And I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning, and where the scone pan was, there is like a giant bowl on top of it with a note (laughs) written in my roommate's hands on on legal paper, roommate's hand. uh, And it says, there may, underlined, or may not, underlined be a dead mouse in your scones <laughs> so oh, schrodinger's scone mouse turns out there was no mouse which is almost more troubling <laughs> than there being a mouse because it was a bowl on top of the pan where did it go are, are you sure there ever was a mouse were they just rickrolling well, maybe or? that it, it, it could be I mean, this guy was pretty honest that would be like a top tier prank yeah, just would. take a bowl and put a note on it there may or may not be a yes. mouse under here but i did not eat the rest of the scones because uh you know out of respect i wasn't gonna chance it i don't have funny mouse story i just have blatant terrifying story to add to your anxiety the only mouse story i've got is at my my old house we had a field mice problem where they were mostly in the in the yard and not really coming in the house but one did eventually venture inside and i I was renting the home so the landlord didn't want the mouse inside and i was like oh poor little mouse just send him back outside it wasn't like a dirty new york city rat who's got like you know poison and raises ninja turtles it was a cute little mouse i didn't want it to be murdered but so he puts a trap out with cheese on it. And fast forward five weeks where the mouse is in this almost Tom and Jerry struggle with my landlord where he's just getting the cheese out of every trap and getting away. <laughs> it was so great. The landlord was like so frustrated, smoke coming out of the ears. Again, cartoon style where the guy was so mad. He set up a camera to watch the trap. The mouse would just come over, grab the cheese and then run away and not jump onto the trap. Because the trap only works if you stand on one side of it. The mouse is like, I'm just not going to stand on that side. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Amazing. Peaches? Yes, time for peaches, which are three big, small, uh, big, uh, great. I'm still amazing. Three three good things. It's three good things. I won't qualify the good things. They're just three good things. Okay, I'll start again. Number one, I just got back from... A very fun month on the road for tour. We played, I don't know, 15, 16 shows, something like that. And they all went really well. Nobody got COVID, which I cannot fucking believe. I was 100% sure we would get two weeks in and have to postpone a bunch of them. And it just didn't happen. We asked the audience to wear masks. We didn't require it, but we said we have free masks out in the back. Please wear masks. And like 80, 90% of people did, which is much higher than I was anticipating. And it was, it was just a great time on the road and people showed up, which, you know, after a few years off, it's like, are people still going to come to NSP shows? And they did. So it was a, a really fun and successful month, despite the fact that our bus broke every day for four weeks. But 
whatever. We made it to the shows due to a great team and I'm happy to be home, but it was nice to be back on the road. Peach number two. And I don't think I can give too many details about this, but my eight-year-old daughter just booked the lead role in a TV commercial. Uh, <laughs> we asked her, do you want to do this sort of thing? And my wife is, a, is an actor uh, and had an agent and like signed her up. And she's been on a couple auditions. And we just found out today she booked a big part in a commercial and they're going to shoot like this week. So wow. she's thrilled. And, and my whole take on it. So I, I talked to a couple other people who were like child actors and what all of them to a person said was, if the kid wants to do it, great. It's when the kid doesn't want to do it and you're forcing them that it goes south, which is my whole thing. I told her a million times, like, I don't care if you get these parts or not. I'm proud of you for trying and you only try as long as it's something you want to do. The moment you tell me, I don't want to do this anymore, we stop. Because if she's not having fun with it, there's no point. But she booked something. You know, she went for the audition and then she did a callback and she got it. I'm mostly proud of her for trying and going and doing the thing. And then it's just icing on the cake that she actually booked a part. That's awesome. Congratulations, Audrey. Yes. She's very proud of herself. She's a confident young lady. I can't wait for it to not go to her head at all. Yes. Oh. Because she loaned me 50 bucks. (laughs) She will loan you 50 bucks and ask you to talk about Zelda with her for 12 hours because it's her favorite thing. That's a deal. I'll take that. She had off from school today, so I took her to a couple of museums. We're walking, and we had not been talking about video games at all. So we're just walking through this parking lot, and she goes, did you know Thunderblight Ganon is actually a lot easier to defeat if you wear the rubbers? And I was like, whoa, okay. You know, Zelda was going on in there somewhere, as it always seems to be. Has she played any more Animal Crossing since the last time I saw her? Not that I'm aware of. I don't know. Okay, cool. As context for listeners... I babysat Audrey a little bit while Brian was out of town. Very kindly. And it was great. I had a great time. She is such a little gamer and I can't wait for her to be a slightly older gamer so I can introduce her to games for slightly older people. Yes. She's on the on the verge. We're going to start talking to her about, you know, like curse words and things like that. What her dad does for a living. What her, yes, indeed. She can't listen to 90% of my songs. She did the other day. She was playing some game, I don't know what, and Rachel heard her go, oh, that's BS. (laughs) And Rachel was like, what you learn to do when you're a parent is you don't overreact, you just ask. So Rachel said, what's what's BS? And Audrey goes, bad stuff. Yes, yes it is. And we're like, yes, it is. It's bad stuff. We also asked her, you know, we were talking in, in general terms about swear words. And she's like, yeah, some kids are talking about, they can't say the F word. And so I asked, I said, what do you think the F word is? And she goes, I don't know. They won't tell me. (laughs) Imagine, not even venturing a guess. I I thought it was so cute. I remember the first time I was introduced to the F word, I was like in first grade. I don't even remember how it came up, but there were two girls who were like, it rhymes with puck and it starts with an F. And I was like, fuck, that's not a word. And they were like, you can't say that. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, just truly didn't think it was a word. I thought they were messing with me. Was it Harvard or MIT that did a study that said that if you use curse words, you are a more honest person because you don't have that filter trying to stop you from saying the word that your brain is actually targeting? Seems plausible. I like it. I'm going to run with that. I'll use that to justify my awful potty mouth habit. Yes, indeed, (laughs) I will. 
I'll just real quick say my final peach, which is, as I've been talking about for fucking, well, there it goes. There it goes. Uh, yeah. Years on this show, I've been writing a smooth jazz album and we have finally finished the mixes. This album is done except for the mastering. And now we move on to whatever the next phase is, which is probably making some videos or something and actually planning out a release date. So it's very nice. This has been a project, which is, you know, I wrote the whole thing. It's just me. Although a big part of it produced by Commander Miach from TWRP. And it's nice to have a solo project that has actually, it's not quite across the finish line, but it's very close. So I'm happy about that. And those are my Proud of you. Thank you. Proud of you. Thank you. I could do mine very fast. Yeah, go for it. My first peach over the weekend, Aaron, Susie, Vernon, and I went to a pumpkin patch and we ran around and looked at pumpkins and we saw some baby goats. Baby goats love standing on top of things. Yes, they do. They love doing that. And we love looking at them do it. So that was awesome. It was nice to go somewhere and do a thing on a Saturday instead of sleeping, which is how I spend most Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Did you see the um, new trailer today from Jordan Peele? No. no. He's doing this right. like animated, slightly horrific, slightly comedy series. And the trailer is like doing this typical, you know, in a world, yada, yada thing. And at the end there, it's like, here's some demons. Here's a dead priest. Here's a bunch of people trying to murder people. Here's a goat. Here's a bunch of demons. And it's like, wait, goat? (laughs) Wait, what? Why is there a goat? Okay, sure. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. My second peach is that a couple of weeks ago, had we been recording, I would have gone off about this particular lemon situation, but I have a type of car that is really popular to steal things from. So my catalytic converter was stolen a couple of weeks ago and I had to take it in to get a replacement. But due to the fact that people love stealing catalytic converters, they were like, either we get this part in a couple of days or it's going to be months. And in that case, we recommend you sell your car. (laughs) So I was sort of in a limbo where it was like, my car insurance, despite being comprehensive, doesn't cover rentals and was just kind of biding my time. And finally, last week, thankfully it didn't go on for too long, but it was a couple of weeks. They were like, all right, it's ready. And then I went and I got a shield for it. So it will not get stolen again. A shield. I have the same type of car. Perhaps I should get a shield. You should get a shield. Like, is that something you only do like in California? I've literally gotten the 42, lived in Pennsylvania all my life, never had any friends be like, they took my catalytic converter. Damn them, not again. (laughs) It's definitely very common in California right now, but it's happening all over. With this type of car, I was reading articles where people were like, yeah, I've gotten hit four times in the past year. Four times? Yeah. Oh my God, wow. Well, because when the tow truck guy came, he took one look at the car and was like, catalytic converter, right? And then as he was loading it up, he was like, immediately get a shield. They will hit you again and again and again until you get a shield. Why do people want them? It's like precious metals in it and you can sell it for like $1,000 and you can cut it off the underside of a car in a couple of minutes and be gone. I think it's the semiconductors in it that they're they're going for, but I could be wrong about it because there's a big semiconductor supply chain issue uh, Mm. right now. So it might, I also might be making that up, but I think that's part of it. So yeah, I am so relieved to have that taken care of. And also because I love the type of car that I drive, you know, I was like, oh man, I don't want to buy a new car. If I have to buy a new car, I would just get the same car. But that means they're going to steal my shit again. So we're hopefully all good. And then my last peach is what I mentioned before that Allison came over and helped me tackle my big anxiety 
panic <laughs> fixation of my closet. So now I can get exterminators in. Allison is the best and I love her so she much rules. for a variety yes. of reasons, but she has also helped like so much with me just being the person who will come and help me tackle stuff that I get panic attacks about. Like I'll fixate on a thing and have a ton of panic attacks about it and then be like, I can't do it. And then Allison's like, I'm here. And I think it's important that everybody She's very has- even keel. Yes, that everybody has a friend who is as wonderful as Allison is. So that's my peaches. Great. You heard it, everybody. Get an Allison. <laughs> yes, an Allison. everybody should get an Allison. <laughs> yes. Uh, Steve, what are your yeah, peaches? Three peaches. Um, so my biggest peach so far is a bit of a rat turn story, I, I'd say. Um, although it sounds like a bad thing, it's a good for me. I finally came to terms with the fact that I am encroaching uh, severe burnout. Uh, I have been wrestling with getting things done for my charity for years and years and years now and i love the place dearly but um, i'm sure it's neither one of you would understand uh, you know when you work with a big conglomerate <laughs> you know where the name is bigger than you you know brian I, you'd have no idea what that's all about it gets a little frustrating because you start being you know a uh, first name from entity and yes i don't want to be that you know i love what right. i do but it's not all that i do and i took some of the first steps towards you know taking a vacation taking a step back and and working on doing things for me and trying to allow myself to be a little selfish and not use every yeah. single ounce of my blood and every contact I make to benefit a charity that I love. Yes. But also I am a human and it took me a long time to admit that and uh, sort of reach out to fellow creators and say, Hey, like, do you feel this way about your creations too? Like that sometimes you get lost in the creation. And, and it was really great to hear how many people were like, yes. <laughs> so I felt not so oh, dude. Absolutely. Yeah. Same. The peaches that followed that was getting things back on, on track. So I, I actually was originally a writer and I abandoned writing to do charity writing. So getting back to doing writing and finding an agent who will help with uh, facilitating that kind of book negotiation and talking to publishers about getting some of my creative ideas out there that have nothing to do with raising any money for any charities and just doing That's cool awesome. things and creating stuff. Are you a fiction writer? I am, yeah. I've got one fiction book done and out the door and hopefully going to continue in that line. I mean, you know, you two are creative, so you understand. Like, you have a bunch of popcorn kittens in your brain with all kinds of ideas all the time. But there's those yeah. couple of ideas that no matter how many years go on, they stick with you. And you're like, oh, yeah. I have to finish this before I'm done. You know? Yep, for yeah. sure. If nothing else, I want to get those two or three ideas, like, done. <laughs> and, you know, if only three people read them, then I don't care. At least they're out of my brain and I can rest, you know? Yep, Yeah. totally. And then the third piece for me would be, this is going to sound sappy, but I've been on a, on a real quest to differentiate in the creative field contacts from friends. It's something that I've really been kind of struggling with over the years with, you know, you meet someone cool and you meet your heroes. They say, don't meet your heroes, that kind of thing. And, you know, some heroes are cool and some turn out to not be so cool. And you learn that everybody's just a human, right? We're all yep. just humans. And I, I've been enjoying networking to find cool people that I want to hang out with. And like just being able to draw that line between saying, hey, we did a cool thing. That's awesome. Hey, also, like, you seem pretty cool. Do you want to have a conversation? And getting to sort of draw that line where learning, I guess, self-worth and figuring out who your friends are and 
you know, there's nothing wrong with making a contact with somebody just because you want to collaborate on a project. Nothing wrong with that at all. But for some, sure. sometimes it's a little hard because the Williams are like, are we friends? Are we, are we not? Like, I can't tell. And I found the, the secret to that for anybody wondering how I've been doing is asking. Just, it, it sounds like the most <laughs> naive, you know, a pie in the sky thing. Like, just be like, hey, like, I like uh, hanging out outside of hours. Do you want to grab a drink? And then just ask. And you find out really quickly who is like, hey, man, I love working with you. Uh, I'm kind of busy right now. Maybe later. That's a no. And, and if right. they go, hell yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And you grab a drink. It's like, okay, that's a friendship. Yep, totally. We've never talked about that on this show before, but it is such an interesting and important thing, especially as you get older and have a lot of contacts in your, you know, Rolodex, whatever the digital version of that is. <laughs> you have all these people you've worked with over sometimes many years. Some of them are people you've been working with for 20 years or whatever. You're not really friends. And there are always those people you're like, man, I just really wish we could hang out. I think it's a good lesson. Just ask. Just ask to hang out. Yeah. Uh, I do think a lot about just in the context also of it's harder to make friends as an adult. And so people are busy. It's, it's hard to get people's time because people have shit going on, but just ask, I think that's a, that's the way to do it. You know, don't beat around the bush. Just yeah, I don't know if it's just uh, my view on society or if the two of you feel the same way, but I feel like we've kind of started to be trained to keep our feelings on the inside and not ask questions. And I kind of starting to take that on as something like crusade against, like just ask people about, you know, like, Hey, are you okay? Hey, are you actually okay? Not just, yeah, I'm fine. You know, uh, you know, is there yeah. anything I can do for you? Or just straight up messaging someone to be like, Hey, I miss seeing you, you know, let's do something soon. And it's not this like overbearing, like I miss you so much. It's not Hollywoodized. Yeah. <laughs> it's not dramatic. No. It's not even romantic. It's just one of like, Hey dude, like I miss you. Hey, let's hang out. I heard someone, and I wish I could remember who it was. I don't offhand talk recently about that. They used to be reluctant when they saw someone do something cool. You know, someone puts out a new special or whatever, used to be reluctant to write a message because it would feel too networky or whatever. But then they were like, no, fuck it. People like compliments. And so now anytime a friend puts out a thing, I'm like, oh, congratulations. Love it. Awesome work. And speaking at, you know, as someone who puts stuff out, if I put stuff out and people are like, hey, that was awesome. Yay. I would never feel like, oh, the fucking networking. You know, it's just like, no, it's nice. It's nice to be acknowledged and to have someone say, hey, great job with that. And so I've tried to be more proactive about that as well and just reach out even people i don't know very well you know oh, dm yeah. on twitter one of the good things about twitter is you can dm people and just say nice honest genuine things even if it feels like yeah maybe i don't know this person super well yeah yeah i'm fully with the both of you i think we have a tendency especially with the variety of people and platforms of people to talk to that like I have to really strategize for the correct entry here and the like, how can I, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's just like, whatever the simplest thing. Like, I miss seeing you. I hope you are doing okay. It's the honesty. Yeah, totally. So I guess my final thought on that is just, do you two get messages like this? Which I know I do a lot is the, hey, I don't know if you're going to read this because I'm sure you got a lot of messages to say how great you are, but I really love this thing you're doing. And then it's like, no, I, I don't get that a lot. Like, thank you for saying Like, it's like, you know, it's like these people are just like, I know this isn't going to mean anything because everyone loves you all the time. And it's like, no, please, please say something nice. It's nice to hear something good. From, oh, you suck. Stop making video games accessible, you know? I do get that message because a lot of messages to the band are about my partner in the band. And occasionally I will get a message which is like, hey, Brian, actually, like you're part of it too, which really means a lot. 
This actually happened kind of on tour. Someone I didn't even know who said, hey, I'm a postdoc, you know, in theoretical physics, and we have some mutual friends, and there's no way you're ever going to see this. You must be way too popular to check your messages. I'm definitely not too popular to check my messages. <laughs> and, you know, was like, hey, you know, you're going to be in, in town, blah, blah, blah. And I, I reached out and I was like, hey, we, you know, you can come back after the show and say hi. You know, they already had tickets. And it was just like, well, I met a cool person because I checked those things. And it definitely wasn't like lost in a sea of messages. It was like, you know, I just, yeah. Awesome. I guess in in the same way that people who are being shitty online can just trot off a message without a second thought, I think if we put the same amount of energy into trotting off something nice and sweet of like, oh, this person might not read this, but if they do, I hope it's nice. Yes. Well, what a way to end the show. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. You know, we have so many mutual friends. I'm surprised we haven't actually met in person at some point, you know. Because I live in my house, I think this is it. These four walls may as well have prison bars on them at this point. (laughs) This is where I am now. If you want to do a show outside my window, Brian, let me know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, dude, thank you for being here. It's really great getting to talk to you. Oh, yeah. great to meet both of you, uh, Layton. I, I seem like an awesome person. I really appreciate you uh, reaching out. Uh, Brian, it was great to meet in person. And thank you for doing awesome things to the both of you. I think these kind of podcasts are needed to where you just get to be a human for a while. That's pretty cool. Yep, totally. Yeah. Thanks. I'm glad you got to be a human with us today. <laughs> and I'm so glad to hear that you're on vacation and taking some time and that you aren't going to answer emails. Like that's... Yes. Love this for you. (laughs) (laughs) If people want to find your streams, your socials, if they want to check out Able Gamers, where do they go? What can they do? Yeah, um, you can follow me on socials, Steven with a V, Spawn, S-P-O-H-N, on just about all the social media platforms. Uh, Nice stream under the moniker Steve, N-I-N, Spawn, S-P-A-W-N on Twitch. Um, There five nights a week, Wednesday through Sunday, just doing all kinds of shenanigans. I'm a personality streamer, which means that I'm not good at games. That's what that means. Um, so, so if you <laughs> come watch me, it's not for the gaming yeah. skill. People here watch Game Grumps. They know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and uh, if you want to check out my charity, Able Gamers, it's Able Gamers literally everywhere. Uh, you can go and find out more information. If you want to support, you can. Hooray. Awesome. That's our show, folks. Hope you're... Uh... Oh, what? yeah, what is it? What's the, what's the sign-off this week? <laughs> what is it? Pressure's on. <laughs> Well, I was going to reach out to the two of you if, if either of you had anything you wanted to say is like closing words. Oh, closing words. Do, do we get to like sing closing time? Can we get DMCA together? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, folks at home. Uh, well, that was an anticlimax if I've ever heard one. Uh, that's the end of the show. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bye. perfect. Bye. Hey. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Knight, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>